0: My conscience do not let me go shoot my brother or uh, some darker people or uh, some pro-hungry people in the mud for big, powerful America and shoot them for what? They never call me nigger. They never lynched me. They didn't put no dogs on me. They didn't rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. Well, I'm going to shoot them for what? How am I going to shoot them? Little poor little black people, little babies and children, women. How can I shoot them poor people? I'm Just take me to jail. I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll
1: die now right here fighting you. Well, you my enemy.
0: My name is the white people, not Vietnam or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. It has been said that I have two alternatives. Either go to jail or go to the army. But I would like to say that there is another alternative and that alternative, that alternative is justice, and, yeah. and if justice, if justice prevails, I will neither go to the army nor will I go to jail. They say that actually every time that I enter the ring, in a way, I'm going to war. They say to me daily, you are a prize fighter. What's the difference? And I like to say to those critics of the press and to the others that there is one hell of a lot of difference in fighting in the ring and going to war in Vietnam. Boxing is nothing like going to war with machine guns, bazookas, hangin bomber airplanes. My intention is to box, to win a clean fight. But in war, the intention is to kill, 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 and continue killing innocent people. That's what the business
2: in war. That was the people's champion, the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Rest in power. Now let's get rolling. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gastola, and I'm joined by the show's other host, Ranya Kalik. Hello, Ranya.
1: Hey, Kevin, We haven't done a show in so long that I've aged another year. Uh, my birthday was last weekend, so I'm like a year older than I was last time we did a show. It's kind of crazy to think about.
2: Happy birthday.
1: Thank you. And
2: I know you've been busy. you've you know we we've taken this time off so that we could uh, do some more to develop the show, uh, do some work to make sure we had some really good guests coming up here in the next month. Uh, but then also you've been speaking. You were you spoke at the Left Forum, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was fun. It was an anti-Hillary um, Clinton panel made up entirely of uh, bro women, I guess. Bernie bro. Uh, yeah, there you go. No, but that was fun. Um, I also, uh, yeah, I guess it has been, you know, and then you went somewhere for Memorial Day weekend, didn't you? You went to see your family.
2: Yeah, I was vacationing. Uh, so we have been just taking some time uh, to do some uh, personal, uh, I guess, development.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like my little sister graduated from college. That was pretty cool. I'm sure nobody cares, so (laughs) moving on.
2: Uh, But Uh, uh, we're all excited to be talking to you, and we know that our listeners were missing us, and uh, I guess I heard that some people were even asking where our show has been. mm -hmm. And uh, so I guess without any more Uh, wasting of time let's get into our first topic we're going to be talking about uh, the election we've got some other uh, specific topics that we'll be talking about that um, will continue to be issues beyond the election uh, like refugees Uh, but first I wanted to talk about this foreign policy speech against Donald Trump that Hillary Clinton delivered this past week it was widely hailed by pundits, um, all Democrats, uh, there were even Republicans who are on board with this. I think we're finding, as, as we've seen for the past weeks, that people who are neoconservatives have common cause with her foreign policy, so they hear things that she's saying and think that she's a smarter uh, person to be in charge of the U.S. Empire, and so she gave this speech, and I'm, I'm not sure like how much you heard, Rania, so some of this you may be hearing for the first time, uh, but uh, let's start off first with the framing. I think one of the thing that, things that is the most dreadful about the possibility that this general election is going to be Clinton versus Trump is that we already have Trump who's established that his slogan is, Make America Great Again. But what you hear from Hillary Clinton is that she's talking in terms of America is already great, uh, but of course, it could always be greater.
1: Yeah, exactly. The American exceptionalism aspect of it. You know, I got to say that it, like, that's just a, the perfect example, actually, of how um, of how ineffective Hillary Clinton's talking points against Trump are. I don't know if you, I I imagine you agree with that. Yeah.
2: Well, she's playing to his frame. So if, uh, we're going to talk about greatness, I think that's the conversation that Republicans want to have. So I don't, so I don't see why, uh, well, i She's
1: letting him frame the debate. Yeah.
2: And I think it's, you know, it's dreadful to me. I mean, for, for months, this is what these people are going to be squabbling over is how great America happens to be. I just – it's – I mean, I, I think I'm going to find people and have a mass suicide. It's just horrifying.
1: Well, but, it is it's because, because – no, it is. It's because here's what's going to happen with her is she's going to let him frame the debate because that way – If she lets him frame the debate, um, she makes it all about Trump. And by the way, like, as I mean, I don't know if you get her uh, press emails because you maybe don't hate yourself, but I do hate myself. So I get the campaign emails that go to press and um, and every single one of them, almost every single one of them. I mean, there's like maybe a dozen a day or more and almost all of them are about Trump. It's her asking for money. Because Trump is, 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 is uh, catching up to her in polls. It's her asking for money because they have to beat Trump. It's her talking about a new article in the Washington Post that came out talking about how Trump's a liar. Like, every single email is about Donald Trump. And so at, at some point, like, it's like, okay, so your campaign, her entire campaign strategy is just going to be running um, as the as the anti-Trump. And it's not gonna, she's not going to have to address any issues anymore. So act,
2: let I mean, me read this to you. This is an actual quote from her speech and react to it. Okay. This election is a choice between two very different visions of America. One that's angry, afraid, and based on the idea that America is fundamentally weak and in decline. The other is hopeful, generous, and confident in the knowledge that America is great, just like we always have been. We are not a country that cowers behind walls. We lead with purpose and we prevail. And if America doesn't lead, we leave a vacuum. And that will either cause chaos or other countries will rush in to fill the void. Then they'll be the ones making the decisions about your lives and jobs and safety. And trust me, the choices they make will not be to our benefit.
1: Yeah, I mean, that line, it's like that line would have been um, if you had told me that like Bill Crystal said that I would have believed you. That is like a neo. That is the neoconservative ideology that she just iter- like reiterate. Like that, that she just said. I mean, that's she's... the entire. So that's, I mean, that is the entire framework of the neoconservative mindset. Is that? We have to control the world, we have to lead the world, and we, have to, and we have to not just lead the world, but what she said about how other people are going to be making decisions in your lives. It's like whoever leads the world gets to remake the world in that image, and that's the neoconservative ideology is that we have to remake the rest of the world in America And in in Israel, in America, and to some extent, Israel's image. Uh, And so that's what she's saying when she says that. And that's really, I mean, that's like, I, I find that really frightening. Like her, I found her speech to be kind of frightening.
2: I mean, it's the American Empire Project, right? And she's saying that she's the best person to lead it. And people who have been the most active in putting together this project in the past 20 years are saying, yeah, we agree. We think that you are the best person to run our empire. So the
1: idea of like the, I mean, there's something even more. I mean, Democrats, genuine, generally speaking, do obviously play into the American exceptionalism stuff. But what she said in that line goes beyond that. Like yeah. what she said in that line goes beyond that into neoconservative territory. So let me run
2: down I'm a saying. quick list here of, of things she said specifically about Trump, which applied to her. But if you listen to the speech. You can tell that there was nothing going on inside of her brain that made her think, this is a problem that I have to deal with myself. So she said that uh, when President Obama took office, Iran was racing toward a nuclear bomb. Some called for military action, but that could have ignited a broader war that could have mired our troops in another Middle Eastern conflict. I don't know. Do you remember the 2008 election?
1: Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that... Who was the candidate that said they wanted to obliterate Iran? I believe that was Hillary Clinton.
2: In the next 10 years, during which they might foolishly consider launching an attack on Israel, we would be able to totally obliterate them. (laughs) In fact, she said that she thought the Islamic Republic needed to be kept in check. And this is what our president, Barack Obama, said... About that, he said it is important that we use language that sends a signal to the world community that we're shifting from the sort of cowboy diplomacy or lack of diplomacy (laughs) that we've seen out of George Bush. And this kind of language is not helpful. There was a time when Hillary actually talked like Donald Trump sometimes when she was running for president. In fact, she said of Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, we came, we saw he died, which is rather cartoonish.
1: Yes, uh, she said that after he was, I believe, uh, lynched via a um, bayonet to up the ass, literally. Uh, she was like, that was her response. Is we, it's we, not just we came, we saw he died. It was we came, we saw he died, and then her, her ridiculous laugh, laugh like, like an evil human being. I mean, like, I mean, if she wanted to be any more of a freaking caricature, that's it right
2: there. Well, if you watch the clip, she's pumping her fists very gleefully.
1: Yeah, like her and her and the anchor, the CBS, um, I think it was on CBS, the CBS interviewer is a woman as well. They were both laughing together at that. And it's like, I just felt really empowered as a woman.
2: (laughs) Okay, she hit Donald's bizarre fascination with dictators and strongmen who have no love for America. I'll leave it to the psychiatrist to explain his affection for tyrants.
1: I mean, it's really stunning uh, because Hillary Clinton is not at all friends uh, with the Saudi royal family. Um, Mubarak, I mean, Mubarak wasn't really a dictator, right? Like, he wasn't really a dictator. Let's be honest. Um, He only ruled for like 30 years or something. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's so freaking, it's just, that's, it's so absurd that she could say that, like, like, did none of her? I mean, it's really shocking that none of the people in her campaign even thought, "Hey, like, wait a minute, we might be opening her up to criticisms, or like, to turning that around on her because that shit applies to Hillary Clinton as well."
2: I mean, I mean, that's just we have so photos funny. like she's hugging these people.
1: Yeah, like it's amazing. I, I still. It's, it's, I mean, I guess it's, like, thank you for the entertainment, I
2: suppose. Okay, like, one more. A, here, Joe here's another quote. A president has a sacred responsibility to send our troops into battle only if we absolutely must and only with a clear and well-thought-out strategy. Our troops give their all. They deserve a commander-in-chief who knows that. Well, you voted for Iraq and regime change in <laughs> Libya, and it's not clear that there were any plans for after sending anything into there to, like, invade and bomb
1: not that, a she
2: also country. wants to know fly zone in
1: Syria, like... Right, yeah, okay. And um, in here, I'll make this the last thing, well, actually,
2: this isn't the last thing, but this one is one of the ones that I think is the most amazing. I don't know if you heard this, but she hit Trump because he would order the U.S. military to carry out the, quote, murder of civilians who are related to suspected terrorists even though that's a war crime. She said, "...it really matters that Donald Trump says things that go against our deepest-held values. It matters when he says he'll order our military to murder the families of suspected terrorists." Hello, Hillary. The mm-hmm. drone program is exactly yeah. that. Like,
1: we have been... You can hit people in the homes. So it's <laughs> like their families are there. It's like collateral damage. And then they all get to be called militants until proven otherwise.
2: I mean, there are real, actual, human-being drone pilots who have post-traumatic stress disorder because they are being ordered to kill people yeah, who they don't know who they are. I'm serious. These... These people in our military have become alcoholics. They, either, or they even go on bath salts to, an, to you know, an, anesthetize themselves to the fact that they are being uh, asked to do this kind of shit. Um, they, they commit suicide. Uh, they're put in psychiatric treatment, but they actually can't talk about what they're doing. So the psychiatric treatment doesn't help them. That's because this program is still classified. So really, if you're worried about people being ordered to murder, it's already happening. And she doesn't get it.
1: She doesn't get it, and, like, it's, like, it's, it's, it's also, I mean, is there any criticism, is there anything she said about him yesterday? Because you wrote you actually, like, wrote a piece on this, and I didn't, so you would know better than me. Is there anything she said about Donald Trump in her foreign policy speech that actually wouldn't apply to her as well? Other than the fact that, like, he tweets really crazy things? Because I guess she doesn't tweet, like, I mean, she's not, like, a Twitter troll. She's got Twitter trolls, though, does that count? Well, there's,
2: there's, there's, <laughs> there's very little, Uh, when it comes to foreign policy. I mean, even taking, like, brokering deals. Like, here's an example that doesn't stick out, isn't immediately obvious, and you probably don't know this, but she touted this deal that she made with China um, in Copenhagen over, over the climate. But we know, because of Chelsea Manning, who disclosed diplomatic cables, that this deal was actually used to prevent Europe from reaching a stronger agreement that would make U S and China t- would force them to go for specific emission reduction targets. So because she didn't want a stronger d- agreement between European nations, she subverted it by going to China and getting this weak accord, which she then used bribes and threats and spying and cyber warfare to force them to support in Copenhagen. And, and she me- bragged about this in her speech uh, this past week.
1: And then we hear, like, and this is what I don't understand, is, like, how can you see that and then say that she's, it's going to be great because she's going to be good on climate change? Uh, and that's, that's, like, a different topic. But anyways, no,
2: yeah. It's the same mean- thing. Like, it fits her foreign policy. And also, I would suggest to you that this sort of uh, strong arming of other countries, this, I mean, she's, that's part of the deal. This is what Trump is about, right? Like. Trump would do this, wouldn't he? He would use cyber warfare. He would spy on other countries. He would twist arms. She's boasting about
1: twisting the Actually, arms of countries. Actually, you know, but here's the thing about Trump. Here's the thing about Trump is I don't think he's as aggressive as she is. Like, I don't think he'd be as aggressive as she is. I think that Trump, and this is saying a lot because I'm talking about Donald Trump here, Donald Trump is more diplomatic Not necessarily in his rhetoric, but I think that he'd be more diplomatic in his actual conduct than Hillary Clinton with other countries. Like, I really do believe that. Um, So I think she's a way bigger bully than him. Way bigger bully than him. I mean, she—and I I also don't think Trump has the appetite for war that she does. I think a lot of what he says about the—about, like, a lot of the things that he does say is bluster. Like, he's just, like, trying to sound strong, but, like, if you actually listen to what he does say— about war Trump is like compared to Hillary Clinton, like Trump sounds like a dove. I mean, she is a, I don't think people like that. You cannot under understate it. Like you get it, Kevin, but I don't think other people understand the extent to which Hillary Clinton is a militaristic, very aggressive, extremely hawkish trigger happy. As i freaking Trump called her, um, uh, like warmonger, she really is like she war is like her her instinct, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about war like invading countries, I mean, like, bombing is her instinct, cyber warfare is her instinct, um, uh, bullying, twisted like the what you just said, bullying, twisting arms, making threats, her like she's combative, that is her instinct, that is the like her go to, so. I mean, like, that that really concerns me. Like, her speech yesterday, I like, after listening to it, I came away fearing her.
2: Yeah, so uh, a nice segue would be to just mention that she's hitting Donald Trump for supporting a wall on the Mexi- Mexican border. All these liberal Democrats are talking about how bad it would be to build a wall and laughing at Donald. How are we going to build a wall? Well... Back in November, I don't know if you know this, Rania, but she actually boasted, I voted numerous times when I was a senator to spend money to build a barrier to try to prevent illegal immigrants from coming in, and I do think you have to control your borders.
1: Yep, she did say that, and she apologized for saying illegal immigrants. And then, Kevin, I will add to what you just said, that during the debate in Miami between her and Bernie Sanders, she was asked, what's the difference between your wall and—or the Trump's wall and the wall that you voted, that you boasted for uh, voting for, of supporting um, at that town hall that you just um, quoted from? And her response was, well, his wall is taller. (laughs) And everybody laughed like it was a Hillary. Like, well, she
2: calls hers a fence. So
1: well, that's I mean that's like a, that's like such a, like a stupid what? No, it doesn't matter. I don't care if his is concrete and yours has holes in it. Like because it, it, it's like that's what the language that Obama likes to use too. But that's another thing. It's like. The fact that we—that's everything that Trump says. It's like we have a wall, a fence, whatever you want to call it, at the border. Like a, it covers a good deal of the border. The rest of the border is covered by what they call a virtual fence, which is like literally like like night vision camera, um, um, like radar detection, uh, like movement detection equipment that like lines the parts of the border. And it's it's, I mean. God, and it's just, like, it's so silly. It's, well, it's I don't understand, like, why does it take Trump saying it for things to be controversial? And does that mean if Hillary Clinton wins, she can go on building her fence? Like, are we okay with a fence instead of a wall? I don't get it.
2: Okay, so let's talk about refugees uh, because it's a very critical and important issue, and we've had some horrifying incidents happening over the past few weeks uh, when we've been away, and, you know, of course— uh, hillary 's on record, saying, "Send Central American refugees back home. Um, we have a policy uh, supposed policy of deterrence that the Department of Homeland Security has embraced, uh, where you know these people end up in our country we 're supposed to deport them back home and show them no mercy, and they need to go back to these countries which are just Filled with um, gang violence and uh, state-sponsored violence that they are struggling to to live under, uh, but uh, and also, can I just add to yeah. that?
1: Um, I, just, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't aware that um, the gang violence in El Salvador is largely um, what's it called? The gang? It's like yeah. MS thirteen. I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: MS thirteen. Yeah,
1: MS thirteen is a U.S. born gang. Like, and we, we actually deported people because it was, okay, so the, I, I wasn't aware of this, Kevin, I don't know if you were, but MS-13 was a gang that started, I think, in U.S. prisons, um, mostly among, like, um, undocumented, like, like, undocumented Latinos. Okay. uh who were in prison and uh and then they like deported that they, they, that's why they deported them they would like just they basically to get rid of that gang cuz you remember there was a while where we would heard all in the news all the time it was another you know like all this violence from MS13 there was like a lot of panic about it they just deported them to El Salvador and like that actually helped like um helped uh intensify all this violence there i just wanted to throw that in there cuz i wasn't aware of it and then but also like the point of that is just to say that the violence you were just referring to that we wanted to deport people back to is the U.S. has contributed to it.
2: Right. So uh, 1,000 refugees died off the, uh, in the Mediterranean. Uh, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wanted to say something about this.
1: Well, I wanted to say something about it because it's a 1,000 people. And again, like, I mean, that's that's an insanely high number of people. like. Think of, like, try and imagine, do you know 1,000 people? Like, can you write out a list of 1,000 people that you know? Like, it, do you, I don't even know if I know that, like, if I could name that many people one. And if I did, how long would it take me to write it out? Like, that's how many people died in the course of a week. Drowned. And they drowned in, in like, a really preventable situation. They were just trying to get to a safer place. We're still here. Like, this is still happening. It's not going away. It's really... There was a baby that, like, um, a couple days ago was found floating in the ocean and, like... And, you know, it's, like, it didn't really get as much attention as it did the last time because it's, like, everybody just seems to be numb to this. Like, people are dying in horrifically high numbers, and it's totally preventable. And, like, it just, it didn't even really, like, people didn't really blink. Like, it's, like, oh, I mean, could, could you imagine if, like, a thousand people drowned because a a luxury cruise liner went down? Like, what would happen?
2: It would be... All over CNN. We wouldn't hear the end of it. Uh, Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon would be uh, on air for, you know, the next 48, 72 hours. So it would be longer
1: than that. Probably like
2: they might hit it as hard as the Malaysian airliner.
1: Or if like ISIS killed a thousand people, a thousand people, a thousand people in um, in, like a Western country, like what would happen? Yeah. Like that would be like, I mean, I pretty sure like Trump would become president and then everybody would vote for him because of that, but still like yeah. that's, I mean, that's just insane. It's like, that's so, it's just so crazy because it's, this is totally, totally preventable, but like governments don't care. They're just not doing anything. Instead, they're too busy cracking down on their own people. I mean, I see protests happening, um, like labor protests in various European countries because austerity measures are being, or they're trying to push austerity measures through. It's like, you know, it's, it makes, you start to understand why there's, like, the rise of fascism in Europe right now, mm-hmm. when you've got, like, that's the response of European governments, is to shut their borders, and to shut their borders, like, by like to basically use the refugee issue as a distraction um, so they can continue to, to, like, destroy the economy, so they can continue to, like, you know, push neoliberal bullshit. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, it's really, it's all really awful and sad, and we're going to see more of it because it's a summertime now, so the weather's nicer, and it's, like, a better time to you know, try and make a sea journey. And I will add this, is that actually people are being treated so badly in places in Europe, and that includes Germany, that according to our—well, um, to my, well, according to one of the people we've had on, on a, had on as a guest, Patrick Strickland, who's been reporting on the refugee issue really well um, and been, like, traveling across Europe, according to him, there's actually, like, an, a people are returning, like, they're coming back to Iraq Because they just like that's a rock is better than the circumstances that they were being forced to live in, in places like Germany, which is like, wow, that's gotta be like, they it's like, I'd rather just go back to a war zone than live 15 people to a room and not have like, and just like, not have any prospects for anything. So, yeah, it's just really awful. And, um, I just, I, I encourage everyone, like, try not to please, 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 like, just try to not to become numb to this because like that's how I started to feel it's like oh another 1000 people died and then I like was like holy crap like I had to remind myself what that means because we shouldn't it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be like you know even if like today eight people drowned trying to get to Greece like and i you know what i my my like the first thought i had before i could even really think anything through like the initial thought that popped into my mind was oh thank god it was only eight like oh that's nothing and that's no it's eight people like if well, eight people there... were killed in a mass shooting in the US it would be like that'd be a big deal uh, well, there, uh,
2: there were, uh, on Friday, there were 117 bodies found off of the coast of Libya. So it's, you know, it's really bad.
1: Jesus and- Christ. I mean, it's like these people aren't human or something. Like, they're just, like, floating bodies. I mean, and then, like, no no one's doing anything. It's just really awful. And I, I sense it's going to probably get worse. Um, the, you know, it's not sensitive. It's like that's where the tre- it's trending towards getting worse. So, I mean, I don't really know what to tell anyone to do about it. I'm just saying, like, you know, just next time you hear that a lot of refugees died, just remember, like, you know, just try and think of, like, instead a luxury cruise liner went down so, like, you can kind of remind yourself that, oh, yeah, like, that's a big deal and it shouldn't just be a story in passing. Uh,
2: yeah, and it's just important to emphasize that, you know, this is a problem of Europe, of these countries not opening their their borders, uh, so they have to take these dangerous treks, uh, these journeys uh, across sea. And also, um... There's a practice, do you know, have you heard about this? There's something that they do in Turkey, it's called water hosing. Do you know about this?
1: No, I don't. Okay, it's
2: horrifying, it's probably going to make you really sick. So, um, uh, what happens is these migrant boats, uh, It's happened in the Aegean Sea, the Turkish Coast Guard um, will try to prevent refugees from crossing, so what they do is they basically turn a water hose um, on these people, um, to uh, make it difficult for them to keep traveling and con- continuing in a direction uh, that they're traveling on the sea.
1: Wow. Are you... Like, Jesus Christ. Like, that's... Just, they, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, I can't even... And I don't the, even know what to say to that.
2: And the Turks wow. do this for the European Union. So it's, right. uh, it's it's a service that they're providing to control... Uh, their borders
1: well, which also brings up the fact that um, there was uh, um, speaking of the European Union they're also giving money to the Sudanese government that they have i mean the Sudanese government has been accused of committing atrocities <laughs> uh, just you know so we 're clear here not just atrocities I mean they, i mean I believe genocide as well, um, and they're actually giving money to their security forces to stop people from leaving. Like, to prevent people from leaving to even get to, like, a place where they can get to Europe.
2: Yeah, it's very horrific. So that's where
1: we're at. Like, let's just, like, yeah, let's just give money to people who were accusing of genocide. Um...
2: Yeah. So, uh, uh, another development that happened while we were off and taking a break, Uh, I wanted to take a few minutes just to highlight, uh, because I think it's a very important case uh, is that Chelsea Manning filed her appeal. Uh, this happened a few weeks ago, but I've I've now written uh, like two or three posts. Uh, I think that this is a very critical thing to keep in the news and to keep following. Uh, hopefully everyone who's listening to this podcast has some familiarity with Chelsea Manning, and we, re- we mentioned her name already on this podcast, but just to quickly make sure that nobody is in the dark, this is... Uh, someone who released over a half a million documents to WikiLeaks back in 2010. She's been in jail for over six years now. She was convicted of several offenses, including violations of the Espionage Act, which means she was prosecuted as if she was a spy. In fact, um, in her appeal, one of the things that they raise and call attention to is the fact that she was sentenced to just as much time as someone who actually tried to sell documents to someone he thought was a Chinese spy. So it was a Navy officer who is in jail. He was sentenced. uh, His name's Brian Martin. He was sentenced to 34 years in prison. He actually, (laughs) on four occasions, met someone who he later discovered was an FBI agent. So basically I'm describing something that has the form of like a sting operation in the way that they have used against uh, Muslims. Um, to entrap them in terrorism. But I don't think this is an entrapment in that ca- in this case, as far as I can tell. I don't think he was being entrapped. I think like he legit wanted to benefit uh, and make money off of selling U.S. classified documents uh, to someone he thought was a Chinese spy. So anyways, on four cases, he went and, and did this, and he is going to jail for... As much time as Chelsea Manning has been sentenced, and Chelsea didn't even try to sell and make money off of these documents, she released them for us. And we've already used them in our podcast because we talked about the deal between China and U.S. around the Copenhagen Climate Accord. So it's critical. Um, and then and, and she was punished, um, you know, one of the most unjust sentences of, uh, in, in military justice history – uh so it's very important to follow i i mean the the appeal is very good at documenting how she got so much time because the judge the military judge uh didn't uh give proper weight to the fact that she was put in solitary confinement the the appeal lists off things like uh allowing aggravation evidence or or allowing the uh people from like the state department to come in and make claims about how uh, because you released this information, I was unable to get this person to agree to do this thing when I was in a diplomatic meeting even though they have no proof or, uh, or to just vaguely say that this made it difficult for us to talk to diplomats without any specific examples. So then the judge accepted that this was something that should be uh, criminalized and added to the length of her sentence. So that's how she got a 35-year sentence and uh, what they document in the uh, – I, we can just dis- debate this, but the position they're taking is that she shouldn't have received any more time than 10 years. That's the bargaining position that they've staked out in order to try to get the Army Court of Criminal Appeals to reduce her sentence. It's a, They make a really strong case for why – um, she shouldn't have been treated the way she has been. And, and and I think that when it's all said and done, because this is a long litigation process, she's probably going to be in jail for two more years. But if she wins the appeal, you know, she'd be in a position to possibly be released from Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, where she's being held. So I wanted to highlight that because it's a very important case.
1: It is. And it's like a Chelsea Manning, um, you know, it's really incredible how little... A credit Chelsea Manning gets for a lot of things. I feel like, um, I mean, people have forgotten her, <laughs> uh, forgotten about her. But I mean, she, like her, like the leaks from Chelsea Manning are still used uh, to help us. For example, there's things we know about Hillary Clinton uh, this time at the State Department. Um, because of WikiLeaks, like, um, uh, cables that uh, I believe came from the, the stuff that came from Chelsea Manning. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying.
2: So when she touts her accomplishments in her foreign policy speech against Donald Trump, well, we have all kinds of documents we can go to and we can see if, like, that's really true, that that what she says is, is a positive achievement. I think there's a lot of evidence in many cases that there are some uh, negative and disappointing examples of what happened that we we probably shouldn't be celebrating what she's telling us to celebrate. All right. So I want to go back to the election for the last uh, part of this discussion. And let's specifically talk about, because when we're posting this episode, they're going to be having the primary in Puerto Rico and I think originally it looked like this was going to be a total blowout. Hillary Clinton was going to claim Puerto Rico. There's actually, I don't. Do you know how many delegates there are, Rania? There are 60 delegates.
1: Oh, I didn't realize it was so many.
2: Yeah, that's almost That's about the same amount. It's actually more than Kentucky. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and it's close to and around about the number that Indiana awarded. So. It's a significant thing, Um, and of course, it's a territory. So I don't think they have a vote in the general.
1: Uh, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, That's uh, yeah, that's really that is really interesting. I didn't realize that. That's the disenfranchisement.
2: Is that our territories can caucus and be part of the primaries, but they so like Guam and I think Virgin Islands. Virgin Islands actually has theirs uh, coming up, and uh, but they don't have. They're not citizens, so they don't really have votes. Damn, it's a bad
1: that issue. Is, that's messed up. So
2: uh, Puerto Rico, right now, there's this uh, talk about the, the, the rescue plan for the territory. Uh, and it's in this huge economic crisis. And this is a very important issue because what has been proposed is um, what Bernie has called – uh, an undemocratic board. Um, he's called it a uh, actually he's called it a neo-colonial uh, board. Um, and basically, this this board would be um, appointed, and all of these people would have the power to slash pensions. Um, it's it'd be seven members, um, a majority of whom would be chosen by a Republican leadership. Uh, the people of Puerto Rico would be able to choose zero of the members of this oversight board. It's a lot like the city manager set up with Flint, is what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. You're giving people the power to cut budgets, raise taxes, privatize and sell public assets, restructure the debt. Um,
1: Without any Democratic input whatsoever, because it's not an elected... It's not someone who's elected. It's literally just like a authoritarian manager (laughs) who's appointed.
2: in the bill that has been proposed... Uh, it excludes Puerto Rico from and this is very important new rules from the Department of Labor which cover overtime and it also <laughs> makes it possible for the Governor of Puerto Rico to slash the minimum wage and reduce it to four twenty five an hour for the next five years
1: and To be clear, this is something that this is a, um, a this is something that Obama has endorsed mm-hmm. this is a bill that Obama has endorsed it's the b- uh, Bill, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, the yeah, yeah, the bill. Um, and also I believe it puts Paul Ryan the because he's the head of the um, house. It puts like the, basically the, the Congress or the speaker and, um, who's the head of the Senate. I'm sorry. I'm blanking out Mitch McConnell. Yeah. But what's it called? What doesn't matter? It's a majority you know, leader, right? The, thank you. The majority leader. So it puts Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell in charge of appointing, the person who gets to be like the, the Puerto Rico money manager who gets to do all these things without any, um, democratic input. It's uh, the money monster really. <laughs> right. And so you're talking about people, I mean, especially Paul Ryan, Paul Meyer, Paul Ryan's, I mean, he's pretty much like as free market as you get, like, um, He's the guy who wants to cut, like, who probably, he'd rather just not have a minimum wage, period. Like, that's the kind of guy that Paul Ryan is. Paul Ryan's the kind of guy who, like, wants nonstop austerity. Like, he wants everything privatized. That's, That's his thing. So that's who's going to have like the power to appoint this person. It's, I mean, that's, this is like a nightmare. And so it's, it's, actually utterly shocking. And it's great that Sanders is actually making this an issue because otherwise we wouldn't know about it. No one cares. Like no one, the media here doesn't care what happens in Puerto Rico. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, he slowed it down tremendously. And his influence in the Senate, not because he's got influence among senators, but because he's such a popular figure right now, senators have been rethinking their support for the rescue plan. Or having to take longer in deciding whether to support it or not. So it's in the House. It hasn't been voted on in the Senate. This has support from a trade group that represents Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, uh-huh. group, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Bank of America, all places that Hillary Clinton would gladly give two hundred fifty thousand dollars speeches to, or uh, you know, um, her speeches that she's given to a number of firms like those financial institutions. Uh, but she's backed away from supporting the rescue plan. She did. Uh, and one of the things that I was telling you prior to recording was that uh, I think the evidence that this could be a more interesting primary than routinely expected is that the uh, Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico, there have been two mayors that have decided to rescind their support for Hillary Clinton. Uh, uh, at least one mayor of, of San Juan, uh, her name's Carmen Ulin Cruz, no longer supports Hillary Clinton. And I think a lot of it has to do with her failure to be on the right side of this issue. And so that's, that's made it interesting. But of course, uh, it's, it's all name brand, right? We've been talking about this on our show for the last couple months uh, Hillary's got the name. People in Puerto Rico have heard of Clinton before. They haven't heard of Bernie Sanders. A lot of people are already just automatically thinking that, you know, I'm going to vote for Democrat. I'm going to vote for Hillary. However, um, Bernie did make a visit to Puerto Rico. It went really well. Uh, he's been raising this issue and I think that, uh, there's a good chance that it could be a a little more competitive than, uh, was originally expected. So, uh, to end, I'd like to just talk because as we do this show and and as it's posted on Sunday, uh, this will be the last time that we have primaries to, yeah. to talk about. I mean, we've got Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, New Mexico, New Jersey, and then the big Enchilada, uh, <laughs> the California primary on on Tuesday. And there is one primary after that. There's D.C., which actually does have... I mean, for the fact that Bernie needs all the delegates he can get, that is something that he has to make a play for. It will be difficult because of his struggles with African-American voters. But um, but to focus on the ones that are coming this week, I think there's a really good chance that he's going to have blowout victories in North Dakota maybe even in South Dakota and in Montana. These are states where play, where uh, agencies or firms have decided to do very little polling. Uh, I think that we're looking at probably outcomes that are similar to Indiana where you'll have even people like, you know, the, the boy wonder Nate silver are afraid to make predictions because they know that whatever they say is probably going to be wrong. Uh, mm-hmm so they don't even put forward numbers um about like what kind of the blowout will be but i think there's that and then you know he's doing very well with latinos uh he had a lot of problems the the number the outcome in arizona was very disappointing
1: well there was a lot of voter suppression but there was a lot of voter suppression
2: so is there going to be that same level of voter suppression in new mexico I well, know.
1: there's also – I don't know about New Mexico, but I know California, which has a significant number of Latino voters, has a lot – they're younger. That also makes a difference, too. And
2: he's winning Latinos in California right now.
1: Right, and I, a part of that is because they're younger. Um, so I don't know if that's the same for New Mexico, though. Maybe that's – you know, maybe it's the other way around. There's more older Latinos than younger, but
2: – So he, he – the, the, the campaign thinks that that could, that could be well the way that – that breaks down. Uh, New Jersey um, is interesting. You've got – the 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 word on the ground is that they have a lot of like activist volunteers that have been out uh, the Ar-
1: the Arabs in New Jersey are are organizing for Bernie I know that much <laughs> and,
2: and we've and we're done with college and you know, and uh, there's been graduations and people are are no longer in school so there's time for these young people to be out doing canvassing which can be a tremendous uh, gift to the campaign to keep things close so. Uh, New Jersey does look like Clinton um, a victory. She'll
1: win New Jersey, but she, hopefully, she not, will hopefully, win. It, hopefully
2: it won't be like a blowout for her because that gets got a lot of delegates. It's 126, and in um, California, I will say this: I believe that uh, the the evidence is there. That Bernie is on a path to uh, winning that state. That like yeah, he's
1: a, he's on the path to winning. But if he, if it, if he does lose, it'll just be by a couple points. And it, it, and if he does lose by a couple points, um, there's like some weird rule in California that I didn't really know about until before we were recording, and I was complaining about it while we were waiting to record. <laughs> and so you know, but I guess listeners don't. There's a crazy rule in California where. It's like it's, a, it's not a, it's a semi-open primary, which means that like that unaffiliated voters and Democrats can vote for the Democratic um, candidates. But there's like a there's like an extra layer, which is that if you're not a registered Democrat, then you have to actually ask for a Democratic ballot. Um, otherwise you like, just your vote won't count for president. Like you can, you can vote for someone for president, but your ballot's not going to count. You have to actually ask for the democratic ballot and you have to ask for it in advance. Like you have to ask for it. You have to have asked for the democratic ballot and had it mailed to you before May 31st.
2: That's true. Uh, It's a
1: outrage. It's actually like the most absurd thing I've ever heard. It it makes no sense, and like it's like, why are you going to have like a semi-open primary if you're going to make it that difficult for people to vote? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. And
2: you know, one of the things that has been a feature of the Democratic primary is this condescension. uh, Actually, it's not even that's not even the proper word. This Disdain for the independent voter yeah. for for daring to have interest in helping a Democrat win in the primary. Yeah, uh, you they don't even clarify it. They don't even say, "Well, if these independents, you know, if if the small percentage of independents, those people should get to vote for Hillary." But I don't want the ones that support Sanders. It's just uh, all. Everyone, all the independents. I mean, I wrote about Senator Barbara Boxer because she's become insufferable. I am just, I'm. Wait, s- you,
1: didn't, you didn't like her hand gesture at the Nevada convention?
2: <laughs> I'm sick of her, and one of the things you know she's been saying is that the Democratic primary in California is only close because. Mm-hmm independents get to vote
1: yeah no the disdain you're right and that's the perfect word to you is it is it's a disdain from the Democratic establishment um, and from all Hillary Clinton's trolls online and what's really irritating about the disdain is they're like well why should we have to like let people vote vote on like vote for our team's leader if they're not gonna at least have enough respect to be Democrats and it's like okay you know what I would actually say to you that yes you have a point if we actually lived in a country that had more than two parties but we don't we live in a country where only two parties, their nominee for president are all that actually matter because it's a, it's a, like, it's a two country, like a duopoly. Like you just have, they control everything. Those are the two parties that dominate. You know, we have other tiny parties, but the, the, the probability of them ever winning a president is like never, um, or ever like, you know, winning. Yeah. It's just not possible so it's it's really not fair like you're you know to say that okay democrats and republicans you have to be one of us in order to get to be it to even select the person who's going to represent that party and ultimately is definitely going to be one of our next presidents because we only get to pick between these two those two people the other side of that is even if you don't agree with that at the very least, the fact that so much taxpayer money goes into putting on primaries—I mean, they are completely publicly financed. The primaries, uh, like the actual election process, it's state funded. For example, New Jersey in 2013 spent—I tw- think it was like a, like a twelve million dollars uh, just on the, the pro- just on the like the primary election they had for like one of this like a seat, like in Congress or Senate or something. Um, and that, so that wasn't even a presidential election, and it cost twelve million dollars. Meanwhile, forty-three percent of people in New Jersey at the time were independents, and were therefore locked out out of voting in that primary. But yet their tax money is going for, to pay and put on that primary, and so they actually did a, like they actually um, filed a lawsuit. Uh, Like to have independents allowed to vote uh, in the primaries because you, when you, especially when you have a plurality of people being independents and they lost, the court was like, it's not up to us to make sure it's democratic or something stupid. But the point of that is, is that like that whole process is like what's happening on the, the whole around the country now. It's like you have a plurality of voters, I believe, somewhere between 40 to 40. Uh, like 2% of America, the American electorate at the moment identifies as independent. They're unaffiliated. They're not Democrat or Republican. Uh, compared to like 26% of people are like Republicans and 28% identify as Democrats or are registered as Democrats. So a plurality of Americans are neither of the two major parties. Yeah, they're paying to put on your stupid primaries so at the very very least like you should open your primaries up to everybody or otherwise let there be other parties like other countries like and be a normal country that's actually a democracy um and like put on your own like if you're gonna you know your your like democratic and republican parties are funded by goldman sachs anyways so like you know buy your own primaries like put on your own goddamn elections then Sorry. Rant over. That just really irritates me. So, uh,
2: some numbers to end, and then I want to end with an exchange that Barbara Boxer had, and uh, we will wrap. So, uh, the NBC news story of the past week, I just want this to be on the minds of people going into the California primary, is that this uh, NBC Wall Street Journal Marist poll has Sanders ahead. One point, if you Look at the wider electorate of all potential Democratic voters in California. Mm. Uh, the other, the what got widely reported was Wait, how
1: many of those voters, or how many of those independent voters, ordered their ballots before May thirty first.
2: <laughs> which is the, which is you know, a, you you make a, a good point there of of what impact is that going to have? Uh, well,
1: already I will just point this out is um, already uh, CBS News was reporting that. Um, something like 320, I'm sorry, I guess the 322,000 nonpartisan voters turned in ballots already for next Tuesday's primary. Um, and of those only 125,000, uh, cast their votes in the presidential primary. Um, so 200,000 of them like sat out the presidential primary entirely, uh, when returning their ballots and it's because they didn't ask for a democratic ballot. Like they didn't like they didn't ask for the ballot that they were supposed to if they wanted to. So they just like it's like it cancels your ballot out if you don't ask for the actual Democratic ticket. Um, it's so, yeah. a
2: stupid fucked up system. But also, let me just point out that California has something called top two. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. So when people run for our office uh, from the Republicans or the Democrats or any party, um, and actually there are multiple parties that have. Uh, ballot lines in California, but uh, in like the races with for for uh, some of the seats uh, from local levels up to federal, they have the primaries and then they take basically the top two that have the highest votes. So it favors the Democratic and Republican parties because they have the most established parties in the states. Makes it impossible for smaller parties to run against that. Yeah. Um, But, anyways, back to the numbers and then the Barbara Boxer quotes. Um, So, Sanders is leading among first time participants 72% to 28%. That's huge. That's
1: incredible, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, But, I mean, I guess, you know, are they Democrats, though? Like.
2: (laughs) Hey, I'm just throwing out numbers here. I know you're going to rain on my parade, but. (laughs) Younger than 45, 66% to 30%.
1: Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was being like the Democratic establishment, like the, the the disdain, you know, like, oh, well, are they Democrats, though?
2: Well, it's not going to matter. And right now they're trying to get him to quit. So right. <laughs> I should probably just close this and move on. But he is winning Latinos, which is really important. And, uh... And good.
1: And I mean, what so also like, it's like, he's gonna, he's gonna, he would have a lot of momentum coming out of a California win. And it would also call into severe, like it would call into question Hillary Clinton's, um, like her strength is a candidate and she doesn't have it. Like she's a very, very weak candidate. Uh, so that would play out going to the convention for sure. Um, and we know there's going to be some showdowns at the convention, uh, and Sanders is really digging his like, you know, feet in his heels in. Like he's not. I'm actually been kind of impressed. He's. I mean, he's even been saying things like Americans shouldn't have to vote for a lesser of two evils, as that as they feel. As many of them on both sides will feel they'll have to in a Clinton-Sanders or in a Clinton-Trump race. And he's also been saying it's not up to him to get his supporters to like Hillary Clinton. It's up to her to win them over. Yeah. Um, which I've also been impressed by. I don't think that means he's not going to endorse her if she, when she's a nominee. Um, but it does mean that he's not going to go, like it's like he's not going to go down without getting concessions and getting something for, you know, the the people he represents, the people who've supported him and brought him as far as they have.
2: Exactly. And uh, an important point to make is that uh, while I would really like to see a third up a, a third party run from Bernie while I would be very ecstatic to see the uh, shitty matchup that is Clinton versus Trump disrupted by a Sanders candidacy independent candidacy. It's just not a good choice at the, our system has already had deadlines passed for getting on ballots, Uh, he couldn't get on in Texas, Um, he would probably struggle to get on almost a majority of the state's ballots, he would probably find that he was only on 20 states, if that, when... Uh, the yeah, general we have election a
1: f- was over. is it it's, it's incredible how undemocratic, like, our. I mean, it's like, it really is, like, the fact that, like, and I'm not even talking about Sanders and stuff, and, in in like, the, I'm just, in general, the fact that it really is either Democrat or Republican, they own everything. It's and it's terrible, that's it. and, and you know
2: who's found it out the the, the hardest? Mitt Romney, because he was looking to see if he could uh, run because he was looking— he was looking to see if he could run, and I'm telling you the reason why he's backed away, and I can tell you the reason why Bill Crystal isn't going to find any third-party candidate is because unless they're going to be brazenly corrupt and game the system in a ways that are completely obvious, uh, which they're not going to be allowed to break the rules, the parties aren't going to let them do that. So they're screwed, and they're not yeah. going to be able to do it. So
1: anyways – well, like that's at least like the one con like that's like a, the consolation or the, like the consolation prize.
2: Uh, so here's an exchange I want to leave you with and it'll make you infuriated, but I hope it will uh make you more committed to fighting the corporate democrats and the uh really awful liberal democrats that support them. So uh This was on the Leonard Lopate show. That's a New York City radio program. Barbara Boxer was on, and she was asked why the California primary is so hotly contested. Boxer said, The reason our primary is a little different is because we Democrats allow independent voters into our primary. So, you know, that's kind of the interesting part. And Lopate said, Well, It'll be more like the reflection of the general election because independents make up such a large part of the electorate. And Boxer said, well, it's not reflective because it's two Democrats. Well, supposedly Bernie's a Democrat running against each other. And then Lopate was laughing and said, supposedly Bernie's a Democrat. And Boxer replied, well, he never ran as a Democrat in his life. Lopez said, but he voted with the Democratic caucus. And Boxer said, I'm saying he's never been a registered Democrat until now. This is a fact. I'm not saying it as a bad thing. I'm saying it as a fact. But the fact is, when you open up the closed primary to the independent voters in a primary, it's going to be different. Yeah, it's more Democratic. Uh,
1: you know what? Why don't, like, you go be the tyrant leader of some state where, like, you can you're, you can have just, like, one party rule? Because um, that's probably, I think that's, like, what some of these Democratic partisans establishment officials would prefer just like all democratic rule everywhere, like of the democratic party. Um, I do want to say one thing on an end note that's a little bit different and that is that cause we haven't had our show in so long. We didn't have a show when there was all the hoopla over, um, a possible Sanders Trump debate. Right. Um, and I was just thinking, I just, I was just like thinking it just ran through my mind about how like I was actually devastated that that didn't happen. <laughs> I think most of the country was, <laughs> I was weirdly,
2: devastated too.
1: Everybody wanted to see it. Everybody. And it also would have done so much because literally everybody would have watched it that Bernie probably would have won, like, most states um, on that last election day. Uh, so, like, fuck you, Donald Trump. Like, you—I mean, I was—you know, like, you ruined it. You, you ruined it. Thank—like, fuck you. That's—I just— Sorry, I'm just I'm really pissed off about that. Like that's like the, it was just so cowardly and you know the reason that Trump wouldn't do it is cuz he knows, he knows he would have he would have been the one coming out looking bad and he prefers to run against Clinton because she is the easier one to beat.
2: Well, on that, there are two points that are worth making. It's one, uh, that Donald uh, claims uh, to have this strategy where he's going to pick off Sanders supporters <laughs> And um, he's going to try to win them over by using uh, Sanders' attacks. Um, I can think of no better forum to have advanced that strategy than doing a, a debate with Bernie on a, yeah. on a stage that could embarrass Hillary Clinton. Which leads me, and I'm just going to put out the question I don't know, and I will restrain myself from speculating too much. But if I was a reporter and I had access to the Clinton campaign or Trump campaign. I would ask if there was any conversations with the Clinton campaign Uh
1: in relation
2: to this Bernie versus Trump debate, because I think I don't know, but my suspicion is there may have been something promised or maybe there may have been some, you know, like You're there, there are people
1: either people were talking, and they both know it would be bad for both of them it wouldn't because it would be i mean it trump it doesn't help trump um well i'm saying uh,
2: what I would look for if I was the reporter that had access to important people in either campaigns is sometimes you might have an informal truce or what we could call like a like a detente maybe for like a couple of weeks Hillary would. Not talk about something specific like tax returns or something like that, and in return Trump would not participate in the debate.
1: Just saying. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's actually like you're you're right that that could be that's actually really I hadn't even thought about that, but you're probably right. That's well, what you're.
2: It made me wonder why she was so confident that it wouldn't happen when there was this momentum. We had Brett Brett Bear of. Fox News saying that there was actually going to be an event. It was being scheduled. They were working out the uh, the amount of money they were going back to, in
1: March, right?
2: Uh, no, I'm talking about just recently. And um, oh, um, he went um, before Memorial Day weekend. Uh, he was in the process of scheduling something between Bernie and Donald Trump. Uh, oh. They they said we are talking to the campaigns. We are something going to happen. Um, ABC News was, uh, was another outlet that they were talking to. But Fox News had stepped uh, ahead as, as, as far as anyone because that was the network that was going to host the Hillary-Bernie debate before she reneged on her promise. She violated her agreement. I'll be very clear. She promised to do this debate to Californians and to the Sanders campaign and all Democratic voters. She promised to do this when they added the debate um, in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Wow. It's almost kind of like Hillary Clinton is demonstrating that she doesn't keep promises. <laughs> I <Right>. mean, <laughs> anyways, um, we have uh, plenty
2: of time to continue our conversations about the election, but, uh, we have to wrap. Um, and, uh, thank you everyone for being back. Anything, any other closing remarks around ya?
1: Oh, well, I felt like I had to also say, fuck you Trump, because I kind of wanted to laugh about something that he did say. That's a little bit funny. And it, it kind of goes into what you just said. Uh, I just, I just came across this headline. Um, it's from a Trump aide. It says you couldn't get the truth from Hillary Clinton if you waterboarded her. <laughs> and I mean, that's like, I just, I mean, it's like, you, yeah, I can't help but laugh because, like, well, it's going to be an interesting general election. I'll tell you that much.
2: Uh, well, um, until next time, let's make America
1: greatest uh! again. <laughs> Wait, I, I think I drowned you out. Let's make us what?
2: Let's make America the greatest again.
1: The greatest. Oh, like, yeah.
2: Looks- I'm going to, like, go past even Trump's and Clinton's expectations. I mean, <laughs> I think I think we can raise the bar and go significantly higher.
1: Higher than just, like, great. Yeah. yeah
2: we're going to go for greatest.
1: America, you know what, Kevin? America was already the greatest.
2: <laughs> well, we need to become greatester.:
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. Oh my God, oh my God, this is going to be such a crazy election. All right, we'll be back next week.